Well, um, so good evening to you all. Um, yeah, it's just wonderful to be with you all this evening. And it's so good just to be in Musenberg. We're all the way from, obviously, Wellington. <coughs> it's very Afrikaans. So to hear everyone speak English um, is awesome. And uh, just brilliant being with you this evening. And thank you for just um, for your warm welcome and your hospitality. Um, my name is Mike. And as Dylan mentioned, um, I am, well, I'm the husband of one wife, um, my beautiful wife, Aidy, and we've been married for going on 24 years, 23 years, 24 years, 24 years in January, <laughs> to just work it out, 24 years in January, we'll be married, we've got a 21-year-old daughter um, who's living in um, Sunningdale side, and we've got a 18-year-old daughter who's finishing matric as Monday, and she'll be on her way to the, to the States, not the United States, but the free states. Uh, she'll be studying in Bloemfontein next year, and then we've got a 14-year-old son as well who's in high school. So our lives are very full, and uh, we're very thankful. I've also got about 35 other children, <laughs> and I brought some of them with, with tonight. Um, some of them need to get, you know, they, they're a bit rough around the edges, but, um, and so I'm involved in, in also a discipleship school in Wellington that's part of Josh Jen called TMT. And yeah, it's just a delight to be involved along with many others that, that are involved in that program. And so we have first years, second years, and the third years interns. And next year, I know Weinberg's getting an intern, Neil, and I'm sure he'll have a lot to do with you guys in, in Musenberg. Um, but yeah, we've got students from all around the world that come to that. Uh, we actually got from Holland, from the Netherlands. So it's Ruben from the Netherlands. He's been with us for the whole year and uh, will be with us next year as well. And we've got three other students coming from the Netherlands next year. A couple from Namibia, from the Isle of Man, we get from Brazil, from the US, um, and a lot of South Africans. And so it's just a real joy to be involved in, in students. But I wanna um, share with you this evening, and um, like just to unpack a, a portion of scripture with you, and I wanna speak about thankfulness, thankfulness with you this evening. It's just something very simple, but I really want to ground us afresh just to give you hope, just to give you, um, just to have a look at who God is and just to look again at what Jesus does for us. And so I trust you'll be encouraged. Um, I, just to, maybe to let you know a little bit about myself. So we've been in Wellington for, I think, going on six years um, where I was involved in leading the Wellington uh, congregation. We've got a morning congregation. And if you know a bit about Josh Jen, uh, for those of you who don't know a bit about Josh Jen, Josh Jen is a bit like, you know, you get certain families, uh, and some of you might know this, some of you come from maybe a very, maybe a conservative English family. You've got a mom and a dad and a, you know, brother, and maybe, you know, you know you, it's like the, the statistical family, you know, it's like two parents and 1.5 children. Um, and then uh, maybe you've got one uncle and one aunt and the grandparents, and, and it's maybe a small family. Josh Jen is nothing like that. Josh Jen, if you compare Josh Jen to family, we're like a big Portuguese family, you know? <laughs> or big Italian family. You've got like Uncle Luigi, you know, from, from Weinberg, and you've got Auntie so-and-so who comes, and you've got, it's like, you've got all these congregations that come together, and you've got like, oh, Uncle Mike is coming to visit us this Sunday. And, um, and we're just this melting pot of congregations and people who love one another with all of our faults and our eccentricities, um, and we just love Jesus passionately at the end of the day, and we want to serve him. 
Um, and so if you, if you are with us for any period of time, you'll notice we sometimes pull you into something called the gathering. That's where the, the whole family get together, all the brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and, you know, cousins. Yeah, that's where you meet Cousin Vinny and, uh, you know, Cousin James at the back there. And, and we come to visit one another, right? And so I'd encourage you to even visit other Josh Jen congregations. Not that, again, the kingdom of God is bigger than Josh Jen, uh, of course. But, you know, God is doing something among us, and it's cool to be part of something like that. So I'd encourage you, go and visit around, um, check out what, what the Lord is doing, even, um, we know, you know, Musingberg's beautiful, and you probably think this is the center of the universe, um, I don't know, but, but, yeah, but it is beautiful around here, I must say, so. <laughs> um, we also, we lived in Edgemead for six years, and before that, we lived in Oatsorn for six years, and before that, we lived in Cape Town for five years, and before that, we lived in the Eastern Cape. And before that, I was born in the Seychelles, and my wife was born in Zimbabwe. And so we've been in ministry for, for many years. I've had the privilege to lead three churches. We planted one church, and we transitioned or led two churches, one from Wilmarais, 2010 in Edgemead, um, and then later on from um, a guy called Ruan, from First Love, and they became a Josh Jen church, and we were involved in that as well. So we've been around but uh, got a few scars, um, but thank God we, God is faithful, so he's good. <laughs> All right, so let's read together, and I'd like to read with you from Luke chapter 17 and verse 11, and we're going to look at a story here of Jesus, and it's a healing story, and it's just a cool story, and there's something I want to pull out on, the, on this. I want to pull out a few points on thankfulness, so let's read it together in Luke 17 verse 11, and it says, and on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices. Now, interesting, if you know a little bit about leprosy, we don't find it much in our society today. I've actually got a friend who works for the leprosy mission of South Africa. Let me say, he doesn't have a lot to do. <laughs> There's not a lot of leprosy. There is some. Leprosy is an infectious skin disease, very infectious, and so especially in uh, poorer countries, I know India still struggles with leprosy, but there are certain parts of the world that still struggle with it, very, very infectious, and it spreads through touch, um, as far as I know, it spreads through touch, and so it makes often your skin white, and has all these effects on your nerves, and so in the ancient world, leprosy was a big deal, there was a lot of lepers around, and they were outcasts. They were people that were, were pushed out of communities because, of course, they were infectious. But like, you know, someone who has COVID, they've got a social distance. These lepers had to social distance and live outside of the city, live outside of their towns. And it says here that they were, Jesus, as he's walking through this place, is met by 10 lepers, but he's really coming and they're shouting at him from a distance because they know they can't get close because, you know, they're lepers. And although Jesus touches lepers at other places, here they stay at a distance. And they say to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he said to them, and when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I just want to stop there quickly and go back a bit. And when the leper, if a leper was walking in, in town or walking in a place where they had to, you know, where there were people around, the leper himself had to cry out, unclean, unclean. They literally had to shout that out wherever they walked. Imagine that. Imagine how 
traumatized you'd be, how rejected you must feel if everyone is avoiding you, shouting, unclean, unclean. I know my brother-in-law recently had COVID, um, and my sister-in-law is a doctor, but they, he, they locked him in the bedroom, and every time he went to the toilet, he shouted, unclean, unclean, as he walked down the passage so no one would go near him. But in those days, this was a real thing. It was something that was significant. And you can imagine the sense of maybe bitterness and frustration and, and, and even anger towards fellow human beings where they were rejected by the people around them. And in this place, Jesus sees, he sees them and he says, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they go, they get healed along the way. And as they get healed along the way, um, they go and, and then it carries on. It says, as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Now, before I pick out a couple of points for us, because there's three things that I really want to pick out for you and I that hopefully will just be relevant tonight. But before I do, I want to say that the man who turns back and gives thanks to Jesus, who is he? He's a Samaritan. In other words, he's a person who is a kind of a Jewish half-breed. They were a half-Jewish race, and they were despised by the Jews. They were regarded, even the ones that were whole, were regarded in many ways as unclean by the Jews. And this man, out of all of them, out of the 10, there's only one who returns to thank Jesus for his healing. And it's this man, the man who's the most, un most unlikely. We don't expect him to come and give thanks. But the Samaritan, this kind of despised half-breed Jew, he's the one who comes back. And he's the unlikely hero in the story. And don't you love the way that in the Bible, God always uses the most unlikely characters? I mean, you look at yourself. Look at me, right? I mean, we are here, aren't we? We are saved. We were unclean. We were despised. We were, we were alienated from God. And yet God reached down and he saved us. He delivered us. He, he called us out by name. He, he rescued us from our sins. And in many ways, you and I are the most unlikely. You know, God doesn't choose, the, the Bible says, the wise people of this world. You know, those who are, you, 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 already are, you already are qualified. And now, God, I've studied. You know, I've got my theological degree. Now you can use me. God uses those who are undeserving, actually. And then he, he equips you along the way. And it's a wonderful story because this man in many ways is undeserving. He should have been rejected by Jesus as Jesus being a Jew, but Jesus comes and draws him in. And what I want to do is pick out a few things from our story today about the importance of thankfulness or of gratefulness, um, having a theology of thankfulness in a sense. And I want to start before I pick out three points of the story of this man and what we can learn from him, this Samaritan for you and I, I just want to read a scripture to you in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. And it says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. 
And so as we're speaking about thanksgiving tonight, friends, actually it says that the, it's the will of God for you to give thanks. That if, we, if you've asked ever, Lord, what is your will for my life? What is your plan for my life? Why have you made me? Well, in a very simple way, it's to give thanks. It's to offer up thanksgiving to God. That, that if we're not doing that, we're missing a very basic component of what it means to live within the will and the purpose of God. And so he speaks about this. And so that's what, this is how important this is for us, right? These things, that if we don't learn how to do this well, if we don't develop a culture and a heart of thanksgiving, we actually miss the will of God. You know? It's quite, it's it is weighty, friends. This is very, very weighty. So let's, let me unpack three things with you from the scripture then as we look at this. Okay? So number one, from the scripture, the first thing I want to say from this is number one, is that giving thanks is not a natural thing to do. That's the first point. Giving thanks is not a natural from the natural man, a natural thing to do. Why do we know that? Well, firstly, nine go on their way and only the one turns around and comes back to Jesus. And actually, we find that the Bible says that the heart of a natural man without God is a person that does not give thanks to God. And there's two scriptures that I want to just quickly give, mention to you. The one is in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 2. Sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 2. And look what it says here. It's, it's a very well-known portion of scripture. And it says this. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. And it gives a list of all these, you know, vices that people fall into. And these are people that don't know God. That they might have a form of religion, the Bible says, or a form of godliness. Maybe they even go to church. But actually, they're not, they don't have a new nature. They're not born, they haven't been made alive. And he carries on. He says, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. And then he has this little word, ungrateful ungrateful. In other words, they don't realize that, that, that there is a hand of mercy that has reached out to them to help them and to give them what they don't deserve, and they've rejected that from God. They are ungrateful, unholy. There's another scripture, Romans 1, 21, and it speaks about, it carries on, it says, although they knew God, Romans 1, 21, what is it speaking about? It's not speaking about Christians here. It's speaking about people that knew God, but from looking at creation, that they knew kind of the general attributes. They knew that there was this God, this being, and he's all powerful, you know, and he's a creator. It's a bit like the man who's walking along the beach and he, he, he picks up a, a beautiful Rolex watch, you know? If you pick up a beautiful Rolex watch while walking on Musenberg Beach, which is unlikely, <laughs> I don't know. And you pick up this beautiful Rolex watch, and you look at this thing, and you look at this timepiece, and you look at the intricacies of how it's been made, and you, you're not going to hold the watch and say, wow, isn't evolution amazing? How it just must have evolved out of the sea, and it's landed here, right? You must be thinking, who is the watchmaker? You know, this incredible design that's made. And, and in the same way, it's saying that people look at, at creation and they acknowledge that there must be a creator. They see his invisible attributes of wisdom and power. And it says, although they see it, it says this, they did not honor him as God. 
because you can't get saved by looking at the stars, unfortunately. You can only get saved by hearing the message of Jesus, right? As the gospel, the good news. That is how the Bible says we get saved. But it does point us to a God. It shows us, it leads us, it's like a stepping stone that leads us towards God. But then it says, although they did not honor him as God, and then here, they did not give him thanks or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And so, friends, I want to say that actually in the heart of man, our, actually the natural inclination is not for us to give thanks. Why? Because we're selfish. We're self-centered. Man is on the throne of his own heart, aren't we? It's all about our own self-preservation in, in, in our own fallen nature, in a sense, with him. And I want to use a story quickly to illustrate. When we were leading um, church in Oatsorn in, in the Southern Cape, we had a lady who was part of our church, this amazing lady, a godly la- lady. She loved the Lord. But she had an unsaved husband, a husband that hated God, didn't want anything to do with church, didn't want anything to do with God, and her husband built a swimming pool for the family. But part of the way he built it, he got a crane in and he dug the hole. He literally even dug with his own hands in the fiberglass, the swimming pool, and the day came for them to fill the pool with water and for them to like celebrate the opening of their swimming pool that they'd built in, in their home. And anyway, his wife was so excited. She told me the story afterwards because it was just, and she said, oh, this is amazing. Let's give, and just spontaneously, she shouted out, let's give thanks to God. Let's thank the Lord for blessing us with a swimming pool. And her husband turned around to her and said, what? I, I built the swimming pool. It wasn't God that built the swimming pool. I'm not going to give thanks. I built the pool with my own hands. And, uh, and you see, friends, he missed the point. Because who gave him the breath in his lungs? Who gave him the strength in his bones, in his muscles to build? Who gave him the ability to design it? And and it was God. And and that is typical of people, is is we reject God on our own side. But you know what the wonder is of being a Christian, obviously of having a new nature, is that God puts in us a heart of thanksgiving. But, but, and we've got scriptures like this, Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the whole section is speaking about being filled with the Spirit. Like, what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And he carries on. He says, um, is it Colossians? Yes. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in, with wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And it says this, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so I know once you get born again, it's like your impulse, your, your instincts it's not different before you got, got saved. It's now to give thanks. And every, every time, like the, the testimony of, of um, Deborah, of Deborah, it was like, oh, we just got to praise God. We got to thank him. And it's just like there's this impulse to now give him thanks. And one of the signs to know if you're born again is because you have a heart of thanksgiving to God. One of the signs you know that you're a spirit person is because your heart overflows with thanksgiving. You thank him, even for the things, the little things. You're thanking him. You wake up in the morning and you, oh, I've got breath in my lungs. You give him thanks. It's a sign that you belong to God. But the natural man does not do that. And, um, and I just want to say, even as a warning for us to watch out, that sometimes if we're honest, as followers of Jesus, we can allow our, heart, our hearts to get hardened sometimes. And we can actually become ungrateful. And we can become like the world we can become like an unbeliever because we get i know for me i know i've got to watch out when i become selfish i get grumpy i I do i get grumpy believe it or not especially when i haven't had a lot of sleep and a lot of food right 
I get grumpy and I get, I get entitled. I feel like someone owes me, the world owes me, my family owe me. And I realize when I'm in that place, ah, I'm not abiding in Christ. I'm not finding myself in him. And I've got to come back to Jesus to ask him to actually work within me. And I say, friends, we've got to guard our hearts that we don't become ungrateful. We don't, we don't, we don't become like the nine that, that, that run away from Jesus and only the one. We've got to be like the one. But thank God that he's given us his spirit. But it's a sign for us. And it's just something that I want to lay out there for you just to encourage you in. Um, I want to say if you are not, if you are honest with yourself and you, you, you're not marked by gratefulness to God, then say, Lord, either A, Maybe I'm not abiding in Christ. Uh, or B, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm not saved. Yeah? And um, you've got to obviously work that out. Work out your salvation in those things. Okay, being naughty now. All right, so that's number one, the first point I want to say. The second point on the story is that we find with this man is that giving thanks is to be a wholehearted response when we give thanks to God. It's marked by wholeheartedness. And look what he says in verse 5. It says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praised God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This man, although, yes, granted, it was a miracle that took place in his life. I mean, this guy's had a miracle. But how does he respond? He doesn't go, hey, Jesus. Hey, thank you, Lord. Hey, thank you, man. You know, from a distance says, hey, I'm healed. Thank you. And he walks off. How did he respond? There is an exuberance. There is an overflow. It is embarrassing, actually, of what happens to him because he comes and he falls down on the feet of Jesus and he's shouting and he's giving thanks and he is overwhelmed with gratitude in his heart towards God. Uh, We find other stories in the Bible of sometimes where these these men want to have breakthrough and Jesus is walking past. One of them, the blind man, Bartimaeus, and it says that... um, He's sitting on the side of the road, and he knows Jesus is walking past, but he shouts, Jesus! And he's just like making a noise, and everyone says to him, be quiet, shh, don't make a noise, you know? Like, as if you're going to upset God if you're going to make a noise. Like, you're going to offend God if you make a noise. And no, he shouts all the more louder, and he gets Jesus' attention. I want to say sometimes, friends, we have to learn at times to even in our gratefulness, that it's a wholehearted response. And so, yes, we know that you're not going to wake up in the morning going, yeah, yeah, yes, Lord, thank you, Lord, you know, like, okay, we're not, you know, that's, that might be a bit extreme, but it is a wholehearted response that when you thank God, God wants a wholehearted type of faith, a wholehearted type of worship. He wants us, there's no half measures if you're in the faith. This idea of faith, that's why even starting your salvation starts with this. Romans 10 says, but if you, be, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and it says, and you believe with your heart. In other words, it's a wholehearted, it's a sense that I'm trusting, not just intellectually, but it's a wholehearted faith. I'm giving my, my being into this thing. I'm investing my life into this thing. I'm, this, this Jesus that I serve is worthy of, of everything. There's no half measures. And, and, and that looks differently at different times. You know, obviously, we, we, you know, we don't live on this emotional roller coaster. But actually, that's the, the posture of the heart, friends. Amen. And, um, you know, it's, I know, I know for some of you, I know, I know this because I battled with this for many years. Some of you are like, hey, Mike, man, but you don't, you don't understand, bro. <laughs> it's like, um, I'm, my temperament is, man, I'm an introvert by nature. 
You know, I just happen to be quiet, and, and maybe I'm someone that I don't give myself to that kind of shouting. That's for the extroverts among us. I am an introvert. <clears throat> I am that guy. And many years ago, the Lord challenged me. He said, are you going to set your culture to your temperament, or are you going to line it up with actually my word and my truth? And, and maybe, Mike, I'm asking you to break out of your temperament, that I want to grow you, I want to stretch you beyond your temperament, that our temperament would never be a limit to God. And that when we read the Psalms, for example, and we read about the psalmist, says he pours out his heart to God. I can't imagine the psalmist in worship going, I love you, Lord. You know, I don't think that's pouring. It says he poured out his soul to the Lord. Where You know, the scriptures, I'm trying to find it here. Oh, I deleted it. Um, but go and read the Psalms. It's full of examples of, of praise and worship. And, and in many ways, God breaks us out of our culture of what's respectable and what's, um, and even sometimes to what's offensive. We had a, um, a Thanksgiving service this morning in, Edge, in Wellington. I say Edgemead, getting my, my churches mixed up. In Wellington, we had a Thanksgiving service. And there were just a lot of testimonies. And we prayed out a number of people that are moving to different congregations. And it was very special, very, very tender. And we went into a time of worship. And then um, one of the guys is like, guys, the stage is open. Come on, we're going to go dance on the stage. Those who want to dance on the stage. Now, Wellington's Afrikaans, right? So we understand that that means it's, it's more conservative. And, and Afrikaans people, alakani op the stage, dance ni, okay? They, they, but I tell you what, man, there were people, they were on that stage dancing. They, and I knew that they were making a fool of themselves. But like David said, but I will be even more undignified than this. You know, that there's something that it breaks in us. It's something that when we do that, but like the, the woman in Isaiah that prophesied about it, it says that, but cry aloud, O barren woman, you who have not borne a song. You know, stretch your ten pegs out. That you have not, sorry, you have not borne child. Cry aloud, in a sense, even if you feel barren. And I've had to learn, like, even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to dance before the Lord. I don't feel like dancing before the Lord. That's like I do that, you know, charismatic, two, I do the charismatic hop. It's like I don't feel like it, but I'm doing it because, Lord, I think this is good for my soul. You know, like I have to say, like David, you know, wake up, oh, my soul, put your hope in God. I sometimes have to speak to my emotions to, to actually wake that thing up. And I think sometimes praise, it might sound, this might sound maybe, a little bit different, but praise is sometimes an ability to kind of, you know, wake our souls up so that we can engage with God in some ways. And, um, yeah, and, and anyway, I'm rabbit trailing completely, but, you know, do you hear me on this, friends? And maybe the Lord wants to put his finger on you tonight, that maybe there's something in you where you, if you're honest, you've, you've put boundaries around him, and, and you've allowed him to, you've limited yourself because of your own personality, and don't, don't do that. God wants to burst the riverbanks. And he will do more in you than you would ever realize or imagine. And uh, in fact, in, in, and then in Wellington, we started doing a train around the hall, you know. And there were like about 160, 170 people there this morning. And they were like, and they were like guys toy-toying basically around the hall, you know, with flags. And these are Afrikaans, Umis, and, and Tanis, and students, and combination of just, you know, going for it. And and I felt embarrassed. I was like, Ish, Lord, you know, what are people going to think of me? What are the visitors going to think of me? I, I don't care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship before you. And I think this wholehearted response that we find from this, <clears throat> from this man. And then thirdly, I want to end with this, is that 
giving thanks, giving God thanks, happens best as a, when we respond to his goodness. Um, happens when we respond. It's always, in fact, a response to the goodness of God. And we see this with the Samaritan. What he does is when he realizes that he's healed, what does he do? He sees the mercy and the kindness of Jesus. And he sees that God has healed him even though he has not deserved it, that he's undeserving. That's gratitude. It's realizing you've received help, and it's giving thanks as a response to that. And so he realizes he received, and what does he do? He turns around, he runs back, he praises God, and it says, and he gives him thanks. And so he sees something of the goodness of God, and he was healed. Um, I love this. Psalm 136 verse 9 <clears throat> says this, Give thanks to the Lord, and it gives the reason why you should give thanks to the Lord. What does it say? For he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. And this gives us the ground of our thanksgiving, is we give thanks for he is good. We give thanks to him in response to who he is, the character of God in our lives, that God is a good God. And I know I have this debate with my TMT students from time to time, is in terms of this thing of who is God? Um, in terms of what word would you describe? Out of all the words in the Bible, to describe the character of God and the nature of God, what is the one word you would use to describe this living God that we serve, the, the consuming fire, Yahweh, this great God above all gods? What is the word that we would use to describe him? And some would say, holy, and of course the Bible says that. Some would say sovereign, of course the Bible says that. There's these different words the Bible uses to do righteous, just. But for me, the word I've chosen to almost use is, a, is good. That he is, he is holy, but he is also he's good. And that's why the psalmist, often the psalmist, what he does, he gives thanks, and, he, and, he, and he, he, by faith, he chooses to see the goodness of God. Um, that this God, the, I love what 1 John says, it says that in God is light, that there is no darkness in him. Um, you know, there's nothing in him that is evil, nothing in him that will come to, his heart is to redeem and to cause it to flourish in Christ. Sometimes he's going to hurt you to do that. Sometimes God loves you enough to hurt you. That's what Hebrews 12 says. In other words, he disciplines those he loves. So it might not always feel like loving, but God is always good, even if it doesn't feel like he's good. And part of, and I want to just kind of give you this key as part of this, when I say a response to his goodness, it means that we have to learn to have faith to give thanks to him when he doesn't feel good. But it's being a person of faith to know that he is good, even if you don't experience him to be good. When he answers prayer, praise God. But what if he doesn't answer your prayer? What if he doesn't give you what you feel you need? Would you still praise him? Would you still give him thanks? And he said, no, 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 but surely I only give thanks when he answers my prayer. But that's not what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in the circumstances where your prayers are answered. Oh, no. Give thanks in? all circumstances. It's this idea that when I'm in a season of blessing and I'm riding the wave, 
or I'm being dumped and smashed onto the beach, I have to give thanks in every, in every circumstance. So whether the Lord gives or whether the Lord takes away, almost like our posture is blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, and this is what marks us out as unbelievers. Unbelievers might give thanks to God, and I've seen unbelievers, when they win the lottery, let me say an unbeliever will give thanks to God, right? <laughs> they're going to find some deity and they're going to give thanks, even to, even to our God. But actually what marks a Christian out is we give thanks when things are going badly. That when trials come and when you're going through the fiery test, we're marked out by this ability to worship him even in the midst of that because we know by faith he is good and he holds us and he keeps us and he's a father who walks with us. And, um, you know, and, and I've experienced that. I know I had, a, I had a operation in my back. I was 30 years old. I had a back operation where I had two slip discs from a sports injury um, on my lower back and I was flat on my back for about two months. I didn't get healed. And I remember I was an elder. I was, we, we had a very small eldership team in Josh Jane in those days. And I'd just come into eldership. I'd been like, an, and I was only 30. How does that work? Um, anyway, we were a young church. And in that place, I'd been an elder for about six months or a year. No, maybe about two years. And I was trusting for God to heal my back. And I was flat on my back. You know, I still wasn't getting better. I had booked off time of work. I was a school teacher. I wasn't getting healed. And um, I remember one church member from Josh Jen came to visit me, just a well-meaning saint. And he said, but Mike, you need to be healed because you're an elder. And it's like, where's your faith? If you don't get healed, what hope is there for us? <laughs> now, I know he meant well, but it was like, you're no pressure. <laughs> and I was like, God, I better get healed. And I remember I was like, trusting for every, I was like claiming every promise, I was laying hold of him, and I just wasn't being healed, I had people lay hands on me, I just didn't get better, and, um, and finally, just as the course of action went, I had to go in for an operation, where I ended up having titanium pins um, screwed into my back to take pressure off, drilled, six of them, drilled into my back, to, and with these springs, it was like a new technology, um, to kind of take pressure off my discs, and um, went and had it done. And I remember waking up in the hospital um, one night, just about a night after the operation, feeling very, very dark. And I remember I was struggling to breathe. Um, I felt like I wasn't getting enough oxygen in. And I was just panicking. And I was just felt like God had abandoned me. And I remember in that place, like, Lord, where are you? And in that place, I remember having to, like, cling to God. And I remember quoting Psalm 23, not because I was feeling full of faith, but because, man, I had nothing. And that was the only thing that came to mind. And I remember it was like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, and carry, you know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though, you know, you will be with me, Lord. You know, your rod and staff. And I was just clinging to God. And slowly, it just felt like the hopelessness lifted. The despair, the bully of discouragement lifted. And, and it was just like, <gasps> felt like the Lord just brought some kind of faith into my soul again. That's just to give him thanks. And I've been there, I've been there many times in many situations where we've had to cling to God no matter what. And what is wonderful about that story is that God was able to redeem that situation. And in some ways, he put me on my back for three months and he taught me something that I carry to this day, something that, that I needed to learn in my character, that he had to prune me and cut me in order to do a work in my life. And I actually thank God for that time. I, I wasn't thankful in the moment. 
I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I realized, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the hard times. Thank you, you've used it actually for your glory. You've used it for my character building. And, um, and so I'd like to pray for us as we close. And we'd actually like us to break bread together this evening. Um, and so just those three things again that I want to give you, just because I'm a teacher, so I like to remind you of some of the points. The first point is that giving thanks to God is not a natural thing to do. It's actually a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit, of being someone that is abiding in the Lord. Secondly, giving thanks to God is to be a wholehearted response and a posture. And then thirdly, giving thanks to God happens best as a response to His goodness in our lives. And that often, that often happens by faith, where we give thanks in spite of the lack of evidence, um, even if the Lord doesn't quite come through as we want. But thank God He does, but sometimes differently to how we want. And so... What I'd like us to do is, um, I know Dylan has put out cups and whatnot, and what we're going to do this evening is we're going we're to break bread, and we're going to break bread as part of, you know, the Bible says that when Jesus broke bread for the first time, it says that he gave thanks for, for, for the, the bread, for his body that would be broken for us, and that's what we're going to do, because the first place that you and I give thanks is in the cross of Jesus Christ. That almost like we have to give thanks um, for that he took our place, that he took your punishment due for you and that he put it on Jesus and that he came as a substitute for our sins, that I should have died on the cross for my sins, but that Jesus came in my place and he died for me. And as we break bread, in a sense, this for us is, you know, God in some ways has left us two ordinances or sacraments and they're both very physical. One is a meal and the other one is a swim. One is food and one is water. The one deals with baptism, which is a symbol of the gospel, the fact that we died to old lives and we've been raised up as new people in Jesus. But then the other one is a meal. And the one is once in our lives that you get baptized once, once you become a Christian. But this one is we do ongoingly. Why? Because we forget. And we have to be reminded by the sake of a meal or by the, by, by the, the juice and the, and the bread that we are reminded, don't forget the gospel. Don't forget to give thanks. Don't forget to be grateful for what Jesus has done. Don't forget to, that when you want to put your eyes on yourself or you're overwhelmed by circumstances, don't forget what he's done. Don't forget that he's begun something a project in your life of the kingdom of God and that one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to deal with the presence of sin. Yes, he's dealt with the power of sin by the Holy Spirit, but we still have the presence of sin. And this meal is a reminder that we live in this time, that the, we have the promises and we have his presence and he keeps us until that day when he returns. But friends, I want to say that if I, I would want us all to break bread tonight if you feel that you're here and you're the worst sinner, you feel like, man, you don't know me, I'm the worst sinner in this room, then this is especially for you. Then you should be the first to come. Because Jesus died for sinners. Thank God, he died for me, he died for you. And in fact, this is the only requirement for us to come, is to acknowledge that we need forgiveness. 
If you know that this, this evening you need forgiveness and you need to remind yourself of the power of Jesus' blood, then friends, let's break bread. But if you are here tonight and you think, I don't need forgiveness, I can do it on my own, thank you very much, then the Bible says that if you take and eat of the bread, you will be making a mockery of the blood of Jesus. But if you do that, then you're actually rejecting him because you think you can do it by yourself. This is for those that are going to be following and wanting to find forgiveness. If that's the case, come. We will break bread. We will share together. And we will give thanks.